Thank you, Shirlene, for reading for us today. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Father, we ask that you would open us to receive from you all that you have for us this day. Help us, Lord, to be attentive, not just to my words, but especially to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Very good morning. Welcome once again to Church of the Good Shepherd. It's so good to see all of you. Uh, last two weeks, of course, I told you I've been on leave and I've joined you via the live stream service. It's uh, sometimes good to uh, do that, to see how others uh, may be watching the service and participating. But I'm glad that, you know, we are coming out of this pandemic. Uh, of course, you know the measures are changing uh, starting this Tuesday and by next week. One of the things I'd like you all to learn to do again is to vocalize your faith, <laughs> you know, to be able to respond uh, with gusto, also to sing. Many of us have forgotten how to sing as a congregation. From next week onwards, we are allowed to sing, so please sing with all your heart. And um, I know it encourages the worship team. It's, uh, they've been lonely plowing <laughs> from the front here, trying to help us to, to worship the Lord together, but... You know, as things are changing, we've got a wonderful opportunity uh, to uh, worship the Lord together, and we look forward to that. This um, week, I want to look at Psalm 32, and I've entitled my uh, uh, sermon, It's All About, it's about Forgiveness. You know, many, many years ago, in fact, when I was just starting out in ministry, I remember uh, my father had invited a man by the name of Dean Sherman. He was a Bible teacher from Youth with a Mission. And he was teaching on relationships, and he said a statement, and I was a young uh, pastoral worker at the time, which really struck me so much so that I still remember it to this day. Uh, he said this, Every problem in the world is a problem of relationship. And it struck me because I, you know, being the young man that I was, I, idealistic, I said, huh, are you sure or not? <laughs> there was a lot of skepticism in my heart. And of course, he means that, you know, the problems we face in this world stem from the fact that, you know, uh, we fail to love God, we fail to love others, we fail to love ourselves. But I was thinking, are you sure every problem in the world, how can that possibly be? Today, I stand uh, some almost 30 years from that time, and uh, having had experience in ministry and, and, and life, you know, I think what he said is quite true. And if that's the truth, if every problem in the world is a problem of relationship, what's the solution? I think the solution is it's about forgiveness. I've obviously um, borrowed this title from that uh, Don Henley song, Heart of the Matter. Right? And he, he proclaimed that the heart of the matter, it's about forgiveness. That if we want to get along, we have to learn to forgive. And certainly that's what we see in the psalm that we're looking at today. As you know, we're going through in the season of Lent, this series in the book of Psalms. Psalms were Israel's hymn book. They were the prayer book that Jesus used you know, when he walked this earth. And um, this particular psalm, in fact, uh, is one that would hopefully help us uh, as our theme verses. But I will con hope continually and praise you yet more and more. The idea is that as we go through the psalms, it builds our, our trust in God. 
that our hope will be in Him. And it would create that uh, uh, atmosphere and the desire to worship Him more and more. But, you know, this psalm itself is called a masculine of David. And you know that Scripture, uh, God declared, you know, that I have found in David a son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So, you know, we could do uh, much worse than trying to learn from David and find out, you know, what it means and what it takes to be a man after God's heart. I don't know if you've ever thought about this uh, um, designation of David. How is David a man after God's heart, considering the fact that he was a very flawed human individual? Yes, we hold him up as a hero of our faith, but he was certainly a man that had all the human failings. You know, of course, uh, well, uh, today's psalm is a penitential psalm, but the more famous penitential psalm that we look at is Psalm 51, a psalm which he wrote after he was confronted with the sin of adultery against Bathsheba. And if it is not uh, bad enough, he tried to cover up that sin by murdering Bathsheba's husband because got, he got her pregnant out of wedlock. And, you know, David, an adulterer and a murderer, is a man after God's heart. How can that be true? Let's dive straight into the psalm. And in the first five verses, we see that there is a problem or an issue that we all face, and that is this tendency to want to cover things up. You know, there is this desire to cover up. Although it's not speaking about it directly, you can read between the lines and you'll see it. In verse 1, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave <coughs> the iniquity of my sin. David basically understood that, you know, if we are to uh, uh, learn to uh, live life as it's meant to be lived, we cannot cover up our sin. That we need to learn to uh, uncover sin. And for so many of us, hidden sins especially are our downfall. We've just read in the news this week of um, a, a prominent pastor uh, who has a worldwide uh, um, a following and a church who is resigned from his position because of hidden sin, because stuff has come out, you know, which has um, um, been uncovered, which uh, causes the downfall. But why do we continue to hide? Is it the shame of the sin? Yes. But I think oftentimes it's because we are deceived by our sin. You know, in uh, verse 2, for example, um, David points out, Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. You know, we are prone to deceive ourselves because I think we, we misunderstand what sin is. And forgive me if I'm going over old ground, you know, it's stuff which I've covered before, but I think it's important that we understand this because we are so prone to forget. We are so prone to, to ignore the realities of sin in our lives. What is sin? Um, 
There's a wonderful article written by a friend of mine named Simeon Zhao. He's a, a professor in uh, um, Christian theology in Cambridge University. He's part of the Faculty of Divinity there. And uh, it was a talk which he gave at a conference, Hiding in Plain Sight, The Lost Doctrine of Sin, in which he, he deals with sin from a very different perspective because he did a, a university lecturer and teaching in um, mostly secular universities. Now he's finally teaching in the divinity uh, the talk is also available on the website if you want to look for it. You, you Google it, you'll, you'll find it. You know, his, his talk is wonderful. The paper is based on his talk. Um, but he encountered a problem whenever talking with uh, young people uh, in dealing with sin because he had to teach uh, theology to uh, undergrads and to graduate students in public universities. So not all of them are Christians. And when he taught other doctrines, Christian doctrines, most people had no issue with it. But the moment he touched on the doctrine of sin, many of them recoil. Uh, because it, it, it sort of offends their sensibilities to say that all human beings are deeply flawed and that you know, they are sinners. Part of the reason they don't like sin is because it sounds immoral to them. Because it seems to uh, um, be a violation of their moral values. Why? Because it, in their minds, this idea of uh, uh, original sin encourages judgmentalism. It, it causes repression. That people don't accept others as they are. And, you know, it leads to all kinds of creepy religious power dynamics. And, and so, you know, he had to think of a way of how do we bring home the reality of sin to a, a world that has, you know, largely disregarded sin. You know, we live in a society where everything's permissible now. <laughs> Nothing is sin in that sense. Only sin is when you uh, isolate or you marginalize someone. You know, and that, that's the only thing which people think of as sin. But of course, that's, uh, um, nothing could be further from the truth in that sense. And he pointed out that so often there is, is uh, misunderstanding and confusion between sins and sin. Sins as actions and sin as a condition. Sins are often thought of as acts of moral transgression, right? You cheat, you steal, you kill, you lie. We identify those as sins and it's true. Uh, they are sinful behaviors. But I've encountered before when speaking to a non-Christian, you know, and we, we go through the gospel, we talk about how Jesus came to die for our sins, I've had a reaction before, someone, but I'm not a sinful person. <laughs> what they mean is, I'm not a bad person. You know, I don't deliberately cheat anybody. I've never killed anyone. I've not slept with anyone who's not my own wife. You know, uh, uh, I'm not sinful. <laughs> it's the reaction that we have. But he points out that there is also a biblical understanding of sin as a condition under which human lives exist. It's a description of the fact that there is a fundamental bias in our human condition against human flourishing. This propensity we have to mess things up. It's, it's a flaw that throws up system errors all the time. If I can use computer language. You know, that you have to keep debugging and you can't seem to find the source of that error. It's because of sin. That human beings are capable of cruelty and unspeakable evil actions. You know, if you've been reading the news, some of the things that people are getting really upset about, about the war in Ukraine, 
uh, is because of the atrocities that are being uh, presented. I just watched yesterday an interview with a young boy whose father was going out to try to uh, uh, get medication which he needed and was stopped at a checkpoint, held his hands up high, you know, totally unarmed. The soldier shot him dead in front of the son. Tried to shoot the son as well and, you know, hit his arm. Thought he shot his head, but he had a hoodie and, you know, fortunately went through the hoodie rather than through his head and left him for dead. And after the soldier left, he ran home. And you, you hear stories like that and you wonder, how are people so capable of such evil? And ultimately, it's this area of sin in our lives that happens. But how do we come to terms with it? That is the question. How do we deal with these uh, uh, realities of sin? Not just the sins that we commit, but the fact that we are sinners, that we have this condition that predisposes us to sin. You know, it's all well and good when we talk about uh, 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 sins and we find it very easy to lay blame on people. You know, we, we talk about uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction and we say, yeah, there, you are suffering for <laughs> your own sins, right? Uh, I, think if, I think in medical terms, for example, if someone has lung cancer because they spent, you know, most of their life smoking two packs a day, we say, there you go. <laughs> you know, there's a cause and, and, uh, and, and in fact to what you have done. But we also know in life that there are many people who suffer where the cause is not their own morally. They may not have done anything wrong in their lives and yet they suffer the effects of sin as well. There are many of us who would look at ourselves, even for us here in church, and we would say to, uh, you know, um, um, uh, everyone who would hear, not out loud, because of course we would say we're all sinners, <laughs> I'd say I'm actually a good person. You know, thank God I'm not like that other person who's uh, gone down that path. It, it's a it's normal human reaction. I remember having this conversation with my friend who... Um, came to Christ through Alcoholics Anonymous. He himself had uh, grown up and, and struggled with substance abuse and the Lord miraculously delivered, saved him. But he's very familiar with the AA movement because he's been part of it all his life. I mean, because it was from adolescence, he was already uh, uh, addicted. But he, he used to tell me that there's this thing, you can always find someone who's worse off than you. You know, you are a terrible alcoholic, you, you're falling down drunk, you do... Awful things, but then you can, when you gather with people, you say, "Oh, at least I'm not like Bob." You know, I drink only two drinks. You know, uh, he drinks three, <laughs> and you can always point to someone who's worse off than you. And we tend to rationalize our behavior. We tend to justify our behavior, and that's uh, precisely what we see in this story that was read, uh, um, or the parable that Jesus told of the uh, two, two lost sons. We often traditionally call it the prodigal son, but it's actually a story of two sons, right? It, uh, the passage starts out reading verses 1 to 3, and you see the context was the Pharisees were judging Jesus for spending time with what they thought were the riffraff of society, the sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus had to point out, yes, you know, these are obvious sinners. They are the uh, younger son, 
who've gone away and lived their life in, in, in ways they ought not to. But the elder son was not much better in that you can be obedient outwardly. You do all the right actions, but your heart is still far away from the Father. That your relationship is not one that is uh, built upon love. Love for God, love for others, love for yourself. You know, and that too is sin. And Jesus understood that and he identified it. Because elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, there was another encounter similar, <laughs> right? You remember this story, of course. When the Pharisees saw that Jesus was spending time and eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And Jesus pointed out, you know, that we all need to recognize sin as a condition is ultimately a sickness that requires a solution from outside ourselves. That we need help to deal with this serious condition that all of us suffer from. And if we understand it in this way, it creates uh, uh, the capacity for us to have a greater compassion for those whom we think of as sinners because <laughs> we recognize that we are fellow sufferers. You know, um, the metaphor that we often have or, um, and, and derive from early church fathers, and I often try to trace it back, and some people say it's Augustine, some say it's some of the other. <laughs> I can't find where it is, but certainly it's something that's carried through where they talk about the church as a hospital, right, for sick people. And sometimes there's a tendency for us to think, oh yeah, the sick people are those who are outside who are coming in. <laughs> the rest of us are doctors and nurses. But the reality is, what Jesus says is he's the physician. The rest of us actually are patients. And if we acknowledge that, and if, as we begin to understand that, we then begin to be able to see people with a heart of compassion. And that's why, you know, David learned that it is important to acknowledge our sin. You know, if you want uh, healing for your disease, it needs to be properly diagnosed. Right? Those of us who've had to deal with disease, whether it's ourselves or our relatives, one of the most frustrating things sometimes is that you know, they run test after test after test and they can't quite figure out what is the root cause. And th there's no ability to uh, understand uh, what the disease is. And if we don't acknowledge that there's a disease, how do we find healing? Right? You can be a person, who uh, growth is happening and you just ignore it. You put a handy plus over <laughs> it and ignore it. It doesn't go away. It grows and it, it, it takes worse effect. And that's the reality with sin. That if we do not acknowledge our sin, if we continue to cover our iniquity, there is no healing for us. But the, as we move on into the second part of the psalm, uh, not just these two verses, but on towards the end. Really, what we see is that the God whom we worship is a covenant-keeping God. In verses uh, 6 and 7, he goes on, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, 
they shall not reach him. Talking about the fact that God delivers us even in the midst of the flood, we are kept safe. You are a hiding place for me, David declares of God. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. You know, this is the paradox that we find in Christianity. We find in following God. On the one hand, you know, our tendency is to want to cover our sins. But if we uncover it, God covers us. He shelters us under the shadow of His wings. He is the one that covers our sins. If you want to save your life, you must be prepared to lose it. Right, Jesus taught. That when you try and save your life, you end up losing it. When you try and save yourself, you end up being lost. And it is only in surrendering to God that we finally find our, uh, um, our fullness. And this is then in verse 8, really God speaking uh, to the psalmist and speaking to us saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And this is God's promise to us, which you know has been repeated time and time again. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You, this, this line, you know, my, I will counsel you with my eye upon you, is not just you know, your parent giving you that evil eye to try and guide you <laughs> how to behave. I've been a recipient, I'm now a giver. You know, my, my, my kids talk about my eyes. When <laughs> they open wide, wide, they're very scared. But do you remember way back when some of us were still young, <laughs> that song by the police, Every Breath You Take, Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. <laughs> and uh, it, if you think about it, it's kind of a creepy sounding song, right? Very stalkerish. And the chorus goes, Oh, can't you see you belong to me? How my poor heart aches with every step you take. But you know, it depends on who the I is. <laughs> we would respond to these words. I'll be watching you if the person who says that is a person who loves you with an everlasting love. A person whose regard for you is unconditional. A person who, while you were still an enemy, <laughs> laid down his life for you. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, I'd want that person watching over me, especially if he was more than capable to deliver me. And as we conclude the psalm, in verse 9, he goes on and he warns. He says, Don't, do not, uh, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. The reality is that, you know, so often we as um, um, so-called intelligent human beings, <laughs> we can sometimes act like dumb animals. Right? Uh, scripture also talks about all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turn to eat his own way. That there is a stubbornness in the way we live our lives that we need to be uh, mindful of if we are going to acknowledge our sin, if we are going to keep these short accounts with God. Uh, St. Augustine did say this in his commentary on this psalm. In fact, he repeated it three times. Uh, he says, Do not claim the right to the kingdom on the grounds of your own justice, nor the right to sin on the grounds of of God's mercy. 
that, you know, our foolishness can lead in one of two directions. We can either, A, presume that we have God's favour because we have been very, very good, that we've kept all the laws, we've done all the right things, we've even confessed, you know, fully uh, in in a ritualistic way. Um, Sometimes, you know, as Anglicans, as you know, in every service, we always have a time for general confession. And the danger for us is that, you know, in repeating it so often, we sometimes do it just by rote without really thinking about what we are doing. And we think we're all good because we've said the words. But our hearts may be far from him, just like the older brother was. That's one way in which, you know, he's talking about that on the grounds of our own justice, we have a right to the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, you know, some people, the error in which we are led to is to basically be very, very bad. (laughs) Sin boldly you know doesn't matter god will forgive you anyway to presume upon his grace and that is uh, also the, the the flip side of the error of misunderstanding who god is and misunderstanding who we are in his presence verse 10 tells us you know many are the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the lord As you know, the theme for this year for us as a church is to trust and obey. And you know, confession is an important aspect of trusting God. James Mays in his um, um, commentary on Psalm 32 points out in this way, confession of sin to God is confession of faith in God. It is the action of trust that God is a God who keeps His covenant. Why is it we can confess freely, honestly, uncover ourselves, not try and hide our sins before an almighty God who is holy, holy, holy? We can do that because we know that He is a God who keeps His promises. That as far as the east is from the west, so far will He remove our sins from us. That He is a God who demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That He, His covenant is yes and amen. Tim Keller likes to point out, you know, that the heart of the gospel message is this, that we are more sinful than we would, uh, uh, and flawed in ourselves than we would ever dare believe. And yet at the same time, we are much more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. That this uh, twin truth needs to be held in balance for all of us. Recognize our sinfulness, the desperate reality of who we are, which required Christ to come to die on a cross for us. But that very same cross tells us that He loves us with an everlasting love. That none of us are too far away from Him. That as in the parable, all we need to do is to run back to Him and His arms are really wide open, ready to receive us. That's why in our passage in Corinthians, today's lectionary points out to us, for our sake, God made Him to be sin, that is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness 
of God. Lent is a penitential uh, period, season in the church. And that's why these penitential psalms especially are, are powerful. Psalm 51, 32, Psalm 6 also is another example of a penitential psalm. And, and they're good psalms for us to learn, not because as Christians we want to be morbid navel gazers, you know, <laughs> just look inward and, oh, woe is me, I'm so terrible. It, it's not a, a false humility that we are trying to do, but it's a reminder that even as we acknowledge our sin, we can trust in a God who loves us. And because we can trust Him, we can fully obey Him. Knowing that, you know, everything He says is yes and amen. That we can uh, receive the forgiveness that we need. As I end, you know, there's one area which I've been struggling over to share because it wasn't part of my sermon prep. But I, I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to talk about an area in many of our lives that may need uh, us to um, um, fully uncover. When I started the sermon, I talked about the fact that all our problems in life are really problems of relationship. And I found that to be absolutely true as a pastor. So often when I have to solve problems in the church, <laughs> inevitably when you dig a little bit deeper, it's a problem of relationship. And when I said it's all about forgiveness, it's not just only about the fact that all of us need to be forgiven sinners. We need to be forgiven of our sins. As you know, one of the things we do often is to pray the Lord's Prayer. And there is a line in there which reminds us, forgive us our sins, what? As we forgive the sins of others. And I think one of the problems many of us face, myself included, is the sin of unforgiveness. And we struggle with unforgiveness on many levels for many reasons. If you remember the parable that Jesus told of the unforgiving servant, the one who was forgiven a huge debt by the king, but then after that refused to uh, forgive the debt owed to him much smaller <laughs> by someone else, you know, Jesus was telling that parable to us who struggle with unforgiveness. And I suspect that many of us who struggle with unforgiveness, we struggle with unforgiveness because we have failed to recognize how much God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. We fail to see that we are fellow patients in the hospital that we are also sick with sin and need saving. So I'm not dismissing the fact that you know, people have wronged us and that they've done things which are, are you know, um, unjust and we've been on the receiving end of injustice. But forgiveness, you know, one of the things Dean, uh, uh, was it Dean? Who, no, it was another <laughs> theologian, but it doesn't matter. You see, the problem with uh, uh, um, unforgiveness and resentment is, is we allow the past to control the future. In Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the things which they are taught to deal with is to deal with their resentments. Because resentment has a way of um, um, binding us and chaining us up and, and preventing us, you know, 
things that are out of our control that we, we, we become so wrapped up emotionally <laughs> that there is no freedom in our lives. And the way to deal with resentment is ultimately through forgiveness. Forgiveness is not approving the per of the person and the actions which they have taken, but it is saying, I will leave justice to the Lord, the God of justice, and I will sweep my own side of the street. You know, there is 99.9% uh, .9 of the cases I've dealt with, all of us have a part to play in the conflict. <laughs> Even if the other person, you may want to apportion a bit more blame to them, we too have a part to play. And, you know, I believe important if we want to move on in life, if we want to really deal and be forgiven, we need to firstly acknowledge our sin and ask God for forgiveness. But then after that, we release the other person because you know, he is God and we are not. That's why Paul says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. <laughs> that we are not to take vengeance or justice into our own hands. This is part and parcel for what it means to trust God. Do you trust God not only for your own needs and your own life, do you trust God to make right the situation in that other person's life as well? And if you do, then you release forgiveness. Not because they are deserving of forgiveness, but because you have been such forgiven so bountifully that it overflows from your life that you give up the right to get even. And you leave that in the hands of the Lord. And I believe, you know, that is the path forward for us you know, if we want to see the past no longer controlling our future, <laughs> but that our future is in the Lord, that our hope is in Him, it means releasing these past hurts. I know it's easier said than done, but I believe by God's Holy Spirit it can be done. That God is the one who can bring healing into our life. He's the one that can intervene in us. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, Let us come before his throne of grace at this point of time to receive the healing that he has for us. Let us just lift to the Lord our hearts, our lives, firstly acknowledging that we are sinners, that we ourselves have fallen short, not only of God's standards, but even our own. But we do that with full confidence, knowing that the God to whom we confess and acknowledge our sins is a God who loves us and is a covenant-keeping God and loves us with an everlasting love that welcomes us time and time again with open arms Father, I pray you would help us to come to our senses to acknowledge our sin which is ever before us and to come to you Thank you, God, for the 
grace of forgiveness that you extend freely to each and every one of us. But Lord, I in particular want to pray for those who have been struggling with forgiveness, not in terms of receiving it themselves, but in terms of giving it. Father, you know the heart. You know the situation well. And Lord, these resentments are eating us up from the inside out. Lord, today we want to surrender them to you. We want to put our trust in you fully. Lord, not just to take care of our every need, but also, Lord, to take care of these people who have hurt us, who have injured us. Jesus, our great physician, I ask that you come and heal our broken hearts, heal our damaged lives, heal the hurts that we carry so deep within. Father, come and do your work, deep work by your Holy Spirit now. The one who is called Comforter and Counselor, come and speak to us and release us from these pains, these hurts, these fears, these resentments. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive you now, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All God's people say, turn the time over to Kenneth who will lead us in a time of intercession uh, before we conclude the service.